Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. Good morning, everyone. Guess what? We're back in the studio live with the Jesus and Paula show. I tell you, we were on the road and what a trip. The adventure was actually getting there. More so than the actual adventure of the trip. We were in Joliet. We were back in Joliet with Apostle Nona Parker at Antioch Assembly. And so we had a fantastic, fantastic time there and then rolled over into a vacation week. And I tell you what, both were necessary. It was fun to be on the road again, and it was fun to have fun. And last Thursday's broadcast, what you saw was Dr. Price's Sunday message in Joliet. Did anybody have to recover from that level of truth. I tell you what, the truth the truth will make you free, which is why a lot of people back out of it, because they really don't want to be free. Living in ignorance, ignorance is bliss. I mean, how many phrases do we have about some sort of alter, alternate state of mind being better than reality, which is really being better than truth? And so she taught and lit it up, Republic or Democracy, How Witchcraft Got into God's High Places. That was one of the drop the mic, drop your head, drop to your knees and pray, just drop everything and go after what God is saying. I mean, she said some key statements here. Um, She said in Scripture, the prophets were concerned about what concerned God. This is a major missing element in contemporary prophetics and apostleship is you're, we're not hearing that many messages about what's concerning God. Uh, we're talking about what's concerning family, what's concerning culture, what's concerning races, uh, gender, All of those things are at the front lines of what's being preached and taught and how we dress and how we don't have to dress and and can we preach and be sexy and can worship be sexy and all this other stuff going on. The missing element of prophets were concerned about what concerned God. That's the Selah because if you don't know your scripture, you don't know what concerns God. And the campaign has been so effective of saying, don't be legalistic, don't be religious, don't be hardline, you need to be flexible, we need to flow, we have to be modern, we have to be trending. I'll let Dr. Price say what she said to me last night about trends. I was like, well, that's deep. Oh, I can say it? Okay, so she said, you know, you got to check, run it right on somebody else's revelation. Like it's your own. And she said that, well, you know, trends, the whole second half is end. Trends come to an end. That's the whole point. So the, the problem with trending is it's not perpetual. It's not generational. Now, they'll bring trends back around. When I was a kid, ripped jeans were somewhat of a thing, but it was really if you didn't have any money because it was tied to poverty. Then they brought it back around as a fashion trend, because it makes money. 
throw some popular people in them. I was walking around the other day. I saw a woman in some ripped jeans. These things were so tight, her skin was puckering out of the holes, out of the – now, come on here. Look, you could tell that this devil of delusion is real. It's real. Your clothes are not fitting, and now you're wearing clothes where you're bulging out of them in pockets, and that's somehow still considered to be fashionable. Yeah, but when you study fashion and the word cosmopolitan and all those kind of things, you get a whole other revelation on that industry as well. And so are we concerned about what concerns God? That's the way that you assess, assessing your prophetic self, that's how you assess if your prophetic unctions and your prophetic drives are really those of God or those of culture or pressure or conversation or passion. You can be led by your passions, which may not be lining up with what God is concerned with at that time. And if you are in your mantle a lot, then you really have to have the discernment to know when what's pushing you is or is not the hand of God. Because it can be, I mean, powerful, intense. You had a dream about it. Lord, have mercy. I just had a vision. I got this whole thing. But is that God? Or is that your passion? Is that you? We learn here about what? The soul and the spirit. Your soul can prophesy to you. Your dreams, your desires, those latent things can speak to you through dreams, can speak to you through uh, visions and other things going on. And, and then what happens is you start conferring with other people who agree. But is it a concern for God? Is this where he's going? As we teach here, is this preparing for his future, for his tomorrow? Or is it just a passionate one for you? Or is this an undercurrent agenda that is trying to use you to be its next host? This is why we have school. This is why we have education, because education, ideally, is to teach us to discern between what voice is speaking to you. If you don't have prophecy, God's divine communications media. Prophecy, God's divine communications media. Rachel can put up the website address to ppmglobalresources.com, and that is where you can go and purchase the book. Ah, it may be downloadable. Is no, I'm not sure. I know it's actually paper book. Uh, one of the older books that Dr. Price wrote on prophecy, just prophecy, and in it she addresses the 14 other voices that speak to you to influence your prophecy and your prophetics. Fourteen. What in the world can those 14 voices be? Well, some of them are family, the voice of your family, the voice of your denominational religion, the voice of your ethnicity, the voice of your education. And all of those voices are trying, the spirit of those voices, too, are trying to use your amplified voice to express their agenda. Which is why, again, if you don't know what God is concerned with, then you're really not sure if you're prophesying or speaking or upholding or building or tearing down what he's done with. Well, God would never, yeah, you better be able to back that statement up. And that's easy to do in Scripture. It's, you can find what he said he would never do. I would never. I will always. I mean, he, he's very clear on his mentality. What we're working out in our youth group is that what? God is a person. He is, right, he is a person. He is real. He has a mind. He has a personality. He has a will. And, and so she said that discernment is the ability to break something down into its subatomic particles, put it under a micro, microscope to see what would have been hidden from you had you not explored it. 
We have brought discernment down to a quickening, a.k.a. the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. I'm discerning. Somebody walking in an unclean spirit just came in the room. I'm discerning that this happened. I'm discerning that that happened. So we have eliminated our mind again because in many things in Christendom, especially in God, we remove the mind, don't we? We remove thinking. We remove analyzing and assessing, and we jump right to feeling. We jump to unction, gut. It was my gut. Okay, well, I mean, but what does your gut instinct come from? And so when she broke that definition down, I was like, okay. So if you're talking about the ability, just the word ability means not everybody can do it. Able, not able. Able, disabled. Sometimes you have a hard time discerning if uh, you have an affinity towards something. So then it's challenging for you to discern if you should or should not be involved with that because you have a natural pull toward it. You might have a bias against something or a prejudice. And so God wants to send you somewhere to do something or to be a part of something, and you're going to say that's not God because it rubs you the wrong way. Is it? Is it not? So the ability to break something down into its subatomic particles, the what? The subatomic, the subatomic, in case atomic isn't small enough, let's go a little bit smaller, let's go a little bit lower, let's go a little bit deeper into exploring. So as we can see here now, any and every scripture you can think of that ties to being slow to speak, investigating one man, okay, the first person sounds right, then the second one comes along, you're like, oh, now we know the rest of the story. Hmm, I would not have spoken on that had I investigated. So discernment is tied to investigation, which is a process. Investigation is a process. So somebody can bring you an issue or whatever, and you have to say, I need to think about that. I need to investigate, I need to explore, I need to go talk to this person or that person, I need to read up, I need to do my research before I come to a conclusion that may or may not be accurate based on this limited information that is before me. Discernment is inquiring below the obvious and below the surface and then below that surface, as we can see, subatomic particles. Put it under a microscope to see what would have been hidden from you had you not explored it, not had you not felt it, not had you not sensed it, I'm just sensing, but exploring because it takes a a great measure of self-control to master discernment. I mean, sitting under Dr. Price for all these years, especially in my earlier years, I'm thinking, I know what's going on. And she's like, that's not what's going on at all. And, I, and you know what? The question I always ask myself, and God, I don't know if I asked her that much, was how can you see that? Like, do your eyes see? Like, is there a biological thing that happens? I mean, I mentally had to figure out the prophet's mantle before I could even accept it as being a piece of my life. I would sit there and I would watch her prophesy. And I was like, so do you hear? Like, how technically do you do that and if you can do anything trying to show somebody else or teach them you can only take them as far as what's in them you know learn how to sing in 30 minutes if you can sing then we can improve we can do something with that i couldn't sing at all and and i took these three classes and now i can sing well the ability was in there somewhere you may not have had the skills or the training or the teaching to bring it out, 
but a lesson can't put it in you, which is why we have assessments, because we know people, and I know Dr. Gale is in the room, Dean Gale, and you talk, well, I want to be in the prophet's program because I know I'm a prophet. Why do you know you're a prophet? Because I dream. Well, you know, I think my friend's dog dreams, okay, starts kicking in his sleep and everything, so dreaming can't, can't just be dreaming. It's like saying, how do you know you're an apostle because I've been to the nations? Well, FedEx has been to the nations on a daily, all right? Birds fly across nations. So let's, let's come on, let's refine it a little bit more. Let's, let's expand it, actually, a little bit more and bring that definition in. Let's hone it in and, and diversify or, or unite, really, because we have so diversified, di- divide. We've diversified, diversified, divide, 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 until we can just insert anything into what we want and say this is the new definition. We teach here that culture and morality is situational. It's based on the times. I just had this conversation with somebody. Morality is based on what is accepted at that time. It used to be considered amoral for men to dress like women. And now it's legislated. She said here as well, we've gone from legislation to legislavery. I said legislavery, L-E-G-I-S-S-L-A-V-E-R-Y. I said, okay, and that's where we are because, see, somebody is going to rule by law. And we so fell in love with the we're not legalistic argument, didn't we? I'm not legalistic, and I'm so free in Jesus, and I don't have to be legalistic, that we didn't realize the laws were being rewritten. We are in a very legalistically oppressive time right now. And as the church got so free, we lose control. We no longer became the stronghold. We no longer ran. Come on, there was a thing called censorship. You could not use certain language on any network. And if you were doing things that were profane, it had to be very, very, very subtle. I'm watching a show from the 80s into the 90s, one of my favorite shows. And do you know what I've noticed with these eyes as an adult and an apostle? Very subtle nude oil paintings on walls in some of the episodes. In the backdrop, not a part of the storyline at all. I was like, is that person naked in the picture? In 1987, 1989. So things had to be, they were there. They were there, but they were undercover. The people had on their clothes. But some of the other things, I was like, you could not have told me that was happening. And now it's in your face. Music videos, come on. All, all just explicit. You have now the explicit version of something. I'm looking at some of these Christian artists with explicit. I'm like, why is explicit under this song, though? What? I need to hold hold on. You have a version that's what? And so this is this is where we are, what we face, taking the lead, because we don't want to discern. We don't want to break something down into its subatomic particles, because that takes time, that takes training, that takes work, and we have to put our feelings to the side or table them all together. Do you know there are some people who can't make a decision because their feelings are in the way? Can't make a decision about anything. Well, do you want to go, do you want a hot dog or a hamburger? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I just, now, of course, this is the running joke after church like every Sunday, is we can preach the house down 16 revelations to heaven and back and can't decide if we want chicken or beef. 
Well, I'm always going to go for beef, but that's fine. And it's like, well, where are we going to go? I mean, it's, it's a joke everywhere. Well, where are we going to go to eat? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You decide. You decide. You pick. Let's go here. No, I don't want to do that. Now, look. We know how it goes, but we have, these devils have crept in because we don't want to think. We want to feel our way through. I'm just waiting for the glory to fall, the anointing to move, for the worship team to get me hyped up, for the preacher to get me hyped up, especially when Dr. Price travels, she'll tell the band, sit down. I don't need you to help me preach, and I need you to learn. And so many don't even know how to learn God because they're like, um, I'm always on. I'm always, it's, you know, it's, it's the Sunday show. And so she gets tuned up, and then they start, and you know, yes. And what did the preacher say? I don't know. The church is good. No, church was entertaining. Church was entertaining. Even if it was good, you didn't catch anything that was said because you were too busy being entertained. And so I thought those were some very key things that she brought up. If you watched last Thursday, um, she also talked about the three principalities God is pulling down over America, one of them being witchcraft. And do you, I don't know if you saw, but that whole piece on trigger words, which we have kicked around a little bit, trigger words and how sexy is the, is the highest trigger word. Your, your toothpaste is sexy and your shoes are sexy and the microphone, that's a sexy mic. And it's like, I don't think we know what we're saying here, but the agenda knows. So then we are in attuned to just sex, sex, sexy, and being turned on by everything. How many people now are so overstimulated that you can't get their attention unless it's in a movie or some app or something flashing or beeping or going off? Children, do they still read books? Do they know how to read? Do children know how to write? Do you know how many kids don't know how to write? Because they're too busy typing and using the phone cannot sit down with a pen and write a full sentence or a paper that's legible. Cursive handwriting, out the window. Print only. Dumbing down, dumbing down, because devils need you dumb. Devils need you dumb. They need your mind turned off and your emotions turned up to be useful to them. And most people now are driven by their Emotions, why they start something is emotional. I was so passionate. We Now we ask people, why are you here? And it might just be a basic conversation. I mean, you're just getting to know people, really. But listening for what, what's my motivation? What is motivating your connection? What is motivating your attendance? I was just so passionate. I was just so driven. Okay, that means when the passion fades, you might fade out too. <laughs> fade to black. Whenever there's the least bit of opposition, you're out the door, I'm out, because I didn't come here for this. I came to feel good. I came to be encouraged. I came to be lifted up. I came to be affirmed. And you could tell all those things that drive people will also let you know what will ultimately drive them away. So how many churches have you attended in the last 10 years? Oh, this is probably my sixth one. And on your way to seven, I bet. Well, this is tied to even, um, Dr. Price taught us about date, the dangers of dating. This was years ago. And she said the issue with being a serial dater <laughs> and dating is that you have nothing in you that will help you commit. 
And so your whole thing in relationships is short-term and then the next, short-term or long-term and then the next. Five, some people are out in a year. Some people it's two or three. Some people it's five. When they get into a marriage arrangement or situation or covenant, what happens is everything seems great, and when they come up on that, their usual window of departure, they start launching a campaign about why they should split with their spouse because they don't know anything about sticking things out. Something to think about. Family first was a trigger word that we threw out there. She said, rebellion is the first thing that witchcraft breeds. Rebellion. Oh, scripture says that, huh? This is the sin of witchcraft. That's the first sign that even witchcraft can be at work in you is rebellion. All of a sudden, you don't want to comply, or maybe you're never compliant. Maybe it's not sudden. Maybe it's just continual. You, you can only acquiesce or comply so much. You never really convert. You never really assimilate. You never really fully adopt. Maybe you're just a good yes person. You fall in line and you check things off and you look like you're uh, going along with the plan, but you're actually never really all in because somewhere in you is that root of rebellion. This has to be turned in this way. You had a creative idea to do it another way. That's why some people can't keep a job. Constantly being fired or let go or your hours cut back. This is how they fire you without firing you. Constantly cutting back your hours so much that you're like, well, I just have to find another job because I can't pay my bills. That's corporate confidentialing you. That's how they can get you out without getting you out and then not having to pay you severance. And so they squeeze you out. And people won't argue with you. They'll just maybe remove and remove and remove and remove. And so that rebellion piece it is that with that element of witchcraft because, I don't know, sometimes we just think that uh, witchcraft is the cattiness. Don't we? The claw, oh, the girls, the claws are coming out. And people are just fighting or controlling, but not realizing that rebellion is a huge thing. Now, rebellion is sneaky, just like everything else, because it hides in arrogance and it hides in all these other things to where you're not going to say you're being rebellious. I mean, very few people actually come out and say it, right? <laughs> I'm not rebellious. I mean, I'm here every week. Mm, we didn't say you were absent. Absent would mean you're not here every week. I wouldn't say, but if, if the rule is to be somewhere at 7, you're coming in at 7.10 and sauntering in at that, okay? If the rule is that homework has to be turned in by this time, you're going to do it whenever it works for you or whatever. If something, And so the rebellious nature is to not follow instructions, to be disobedient and oftentimes with a very good excuse. It's consistently being that way. All right, sometimes everybody oversleeps, you know, whatever happens. But when that's consistently, you well, this is the protocol. You need to call the office. You need to schedule an appointment. Then you need to do whatever. No, I'm just going to jump right over every chain, every chain link we have, and just go right to Dr. Gail. I'm just going to talk to her. Actually, you need to go this way and do it this way. Well, I mean, I know you personally, so I shouldn't have to go through the, the system because the system is for strangers. Not for people you know, <laughs> right? I mean, that's, 
That's like the mentality that you can get. Well, the protocol is for other people. It's like when you have boundaries in your life and the people closest to you just think that because they're close to you that they should be able to mow down those boundaries because, hey, we're cool. And so those are for other people, not me. Whenever you think you should always be the entitled exception to the rule, you may be inherently rebellious. If there's no policy that you feel really you should fall under, that's real rebellion. That's real witchcraft. And that's a sabotaging element because you continue to get yourself kicked out of places. You continue to get yourself lose favor with people because they'll say, man, I would really love to work with them, but I just can't get them to fall in line. I just really can't get them to be compliant. We have, oh, there's an amen from the chief apostle. Okay, the shade of bow. There, you, you really have plans for this person, but you know that as soon as you unleash them, they will unleash on your organization or your family or your whatever that rebellion, or which produces disorder, chaos, all of a sudden the standards that you worked for years to establish are whittled down, whittled down, whittled down, whittled down, whittled down in a matter of months. People are confused when they're under rebellious leaders because they they can't find the order. They can't find the structure. Sometimes when you're rebellious, you tell yourself, well, I'm just interested in results. I'm just interested in results. You know, all that other stuff is fine. I'm just interested in results, which means you're bypassing the whole process that will get you to those results because you're so in love with yourself. I agree. You know, one of the hardest things to do is to train a person who is rebellious and they're calling it independence and preference. Oh. Or my personal favorite. The chief Apostle's back, y'all. That's just me. Yeah. Yeah, but the problem is I'm having a problem with you. <laughs> See, that's the problem I'm having right now. But, you know, I'm so happy to hear you talk about that because one of the things that I have talked about when we say rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, think rebellion is aggression. And it is. It's suppressed aggression. Ooh. It's behavioral aggression. Hold on, let me get in my notebook. Hold on. You know, mm-hmm. See, we think we understand. You don't get in trouble when you first start. I have, a, I have a handful of rebellious leaders who swear they're devoted and loyal. I'm like, but you change everything I do. Everything. You change it. You alter it. You slice it up. You... Delay it, you reprioritize, re-rank, you can't deliver on your word, you can't shut up, but you can't put up. Oh, my. I'm talking about the people who couldn't make the Because they couldn't comply. (laughs) (laughs) Other things going on. And when when you think about it, when you look at it, rebellion is mentioned about nine times in Scripture. But the first time that God talks about it is rebellion in the heart. And, and that's important because, see, we got here by rebellion. We got here by culturalized, socialized rebellion. I know, isn't that super- interesting? That's how we got here. We have a culture of rebellion. What is disruption? What is cancel culture? What is progressive? What is communism? What is socialism? Oh, think about it. All of those are rooted in rebellion. And rebellion is a very interesting word because it actually means war waged against a government by some portion of its subjects. Originally, 
especially against God or church authority. That's rebellion. Like the people are like, you gave the example of the person who is going from here to to there and there to here because you're trying to find someone who will indulge your rebellion and who will reward your rebellion with position. So I've been out here a long time. So you want, you call your rebellion innovation, creativity. Thinking outside of the box. Uh, thinking outside the box. And I'm going to crush that box. Being progressive. Being progressive, you know, being creative, showing initiation. All of those are trigger words for rebellion. And you need to know that they're trigger words because when you hear them, you feel like you are suddenly, even if only abstractly, a member of the pack. You are validated by a particular group that won't be pushed around, that won't be told what to do, that won't be ignored, won't go away. Now, the problem with rebellion in the church is that the church has suffered rebellion for like ever, but we like to fancy ourselves as obedient. And so if we're obedient, we won't push back on a rebel. That's how we got here too. We won't push back on a rebel because we're loving them to Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just going to love you right on on to Shedebo. Somebody ought to hit it. I know that's right. We're loving you to Jesus. We're forgiving. We're being meek. We're being merciful. So when you meet a leader in Christ who said, I'm not going to play with you, are you out? Because you need the the very you know, kind of moldable, malleable leadership that is intimidated by your strength. See, rebels push forward on their strength. And so, and and they they don't just do it. What you see, by the time you get in my face, you've already circulated in my group. You've dropped these, you've had these, you know, these kind of seed drippings. You've dripped in there, you've dripped in their conscience, you've dripped in their conversation, you've dripped in their their talk, and, it's, and you, you really are being you, and that's, the, that's okay, except you is rebellious. <laughs> can, can you also address the amiable oh, rebel? This oh. is, you are the only person I've ever heard talk about the amiable rebel. I have amiable rebels, which are the people who use their charisma to seduce you into liking them or wanting to, uh, to affect you emotionally so that you agree with them without the amiable rebel will say, well, Jesus has, has a whole, uh, what do you call it, a whole parable on it. We got the parable of the two sons. Son, go mow the lawn. Okay. Yes, Dad. Glad to do it. Never do it. The other son, go mow the lawn. I mowed it last time. <laughs> he never has to mow it. And, but yet, eventually, we'll do it. So the amiable rebel will always use personality to disarm you and to distract you from their rebellion. They're going to use gifts. They're going to use trinkets. They're going to use um, flattery, always flattery. They're going to use public service, meaning they're going to do what they do for you in public so the public can see and approve them, but behind the scenes, they can't deliver and they don't deliver. And so 
having you know having been in this thing a very very long time, I've met a whole lot of personalities, but the personalities tend to fall into pretty much a group of maybe seven, no more than ten or twelve different categories. But the amiable one is the one that's everybody's friend and everybody's enemy, or everybody's frenemy, frenemy at the same time. The amiable will always push their work off on you and tell you, thanks for being there for me. Now, they're never there for you, but thanks for helping me out. You know, you're always there. You're my friend. They'll always use emotional deficits Wow. They'll, to, to goad you into doing it. So they'll, they'll use your sense of rejection, inferiority, abandonment, lack of knowledge. They'll use your need for love and affection. They'll use your need for approval and acceptance. They'll do all of that so that you become their slave. And you don't realize you're their slave. Mm. You don't realize it. They will buy you coffee when you look like, and if you notice, you'll know that this is the kind of person, because every time it looks like you're slipping away and attempting to stand up, they have a gift. Wow. They have, let's hang out, because they, they come with another dose. Ah. And they keep dosing you with this drippage so that they, there's, you never really have full control of your own faculties or decision-making powers. In your mind, you are always... Without fail, you are always being drawn into their web and, and, and staying there. And, you, and they make you feel good about it. They'll buy you your favorite outfit. You know, they'll, because they, rebellious people have to have control subjects. Oh, my. Otherwise, what's the point of being rebellious? So you have to have control subjects. That means you have control tactics, way that you, ways that you control. And they, they, they assess you. That's why God has so much to say to his church about being renewed in the spirit of your mind, by, about transforming your mind, about having your own mind, really about relinquishing your mind and taking on the mind of Christ. Because, see, they can't seduce Jesus. Jesus is like, I'm not impressed. Okay? He going to tell you, that is so unimpressive to me. What did he say to Israel? I know y'all. He said, I know the inclination of your heart right now. Y'all rebellious? You've been rebellious since I brought your fathers out, and you're still rebellious. <laughs> it went on down your gene pool. You got genetic rebellion. And so um, we have to get to a place that we understand why God is asking us to be Scripture, not just Bible, Scripture. You know, over the last several months, the Holy Ghost has been telling me, um, stop using the word Bible and to begin to use the word scripture, for all scripture is inspired by God. All Bibles can be manipulated by man. We got so many different Bibles. I realize we got like 147 of them that change from here to there, and, and 146 of them rival the, uh, uh, the new the, the, uh, King James Version. There is a book that I just got. I started reading it yesterday. It's called... What, what did they leave out, or what's missing in your Bible? What's the name of it? Because I want you to look it up and put it on the screen. And I started reading, whole verses are taken out. Now, I, taken out. Now, I knew that. I really did, because you read some of these statements, and it would just drop off, like, like ellipsis, you know, and just drop off. And you'd read some of these statements that are 
cut and paste, and you're like, but that doesn't even make sense. So to people who don't want to read the Bible or read their Bible or people who, who want to read the Bible and don't want to understand Scripture, it means nothing. Right. It's called Look What's Missing by David W. Daniels. Okay, Look What's Missing. So put it up on the screen, and there are two more this, that we found with it. Um, remember we were talking about it when I told you? Look what's missing. Now, I tell you, when this man starts pointing out, like he said, the majority of the Bibles today ignore acts. I'm going to go um, eliminate. Uh, what, why they changed the Bible? Why they changed the Bible. Why they changed the Bible. And so, but if you look at Acts, when you go into anything but the King James Version, he said the majority of them eliminate Acts 837. Now, I was like, really? But how do you know it's missing if you don't know it should have been there? Right. Okay. Okay. And that's how we should know. (laughs) 837. And so he said, and Acts 8.37, and Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he wanted to be baptized. And, the, and that whole, but he gives you backstory on these scriptures, why the eunuch wanted to be baptized, was glad that he could be baptized in Jesus. Because when they had um, annual events, anybody who was maimed, eunuchs, whatnot, could not be among the congregation. That of, of in the synagogue or the congregation of Jews, and so he's he's both a proselyte, meaning you know he's Gentile, and he's he's, he's a eunuch. But he's now that's just one. He had another one, and so I, I picked it up and found it very difficult to put it down. Why? Because we like to say we were churches, and you don't know what words you have. So he did teach me something. I learned a few things, and I'll get back to our subject. But I think it's it's worth interjecting this. Do you? So he did teach me a couple of things. One of the things he said is when they tell you that you, they got that information from the original text, he said it came from the Alexandrian Egyptian translations. Oh, interesting. Egyptian. Egyptian translations. Okay. And, so, and, he, and he says, so when they say original manuscript, what they mean is the original recopy or the original errant copy. Here we are, we're thinking original text or original. He said, first of all, he said nobody has done anything with original manuscripts since the first person to do it has copied it. Everybody's running on a copy. Our job is to find out who copied it correctly. But we understand that in modern language, you know, that you, you know, especially if you want to misrepresent somebody. And so there were those who did word for word verbatim, picking the right synonyms. Because, see, I'm a writer. I know how important synonyms are. I make a big deal when I train my students. Okay, is that the best synonym to have? Because some synonyms really um, amplify others, diminish others, kind of downgrade what you're saying, soften. Some synonyms synonyms strengthen. Mm -hmm. So I said to God, when he started telling me, I said, well, God, I understand that. He said, and, and I had been telling God that for years. I said, God, when I'm studying, because I like going to the, you know, the scriptures that have the Strongs right there, and they have one online. Um, I don't know where Norman is. This one is amazing, this particular Bible, because the Strongs come right up with it. You can click it. It tells you what it means, whatever. But when you look at it and they have all of those synonyms, you have got to understand the tone and the theme 
and the context in which this particular verse is written to find out if the synonym chosen was to soften the stance, strengthen it, or accurately represent it. Well, and you've seen this when you travel and have an interpreter. So she's been to some Spanish-speaking places, and if the interpreter is misinterpreting what she's saying, either the host or people from the audience will say, that's not what she's saying, Mm -hmm. the ones who know English very well. And so they have to find high-level translators for her message who can translate on that level and not bring it down to what they understand her to be saying. Or what the people can tolerate. Right, but what you are actually Actually saying. saying. And to see that in action when somebody is ministering, first of all, it almost becomes comical because they're like, that's not what she's saying. Mm -hmm. And so they are correcting the translator to get it right in real time. We had a translator who had to sit down. She said, I'm I'm nervous. I can't do it. They had to pull up the host. He had to come up and finish translating for the message. Unfortunately, he was a genius in his own right. He was very scholarly. And he was able to take even my thoughts, which you know are not, well, you know, anyway, he was able to take even my thoughts and to translate it to the people because the idea of these translations is either to trigger and fortify your, your integrity and your faith or to uh, diminish it. And he said many of those soft terms. And I know because, I, you know, I bought all these talking Bibles. But when you have been trained on the King James, see, they don't like the King James, and I'll tell you what their issue is in a minute if I forget remind me. But having been trained, I have the CEV talking Bible. I have the CSB talking Bible. I have the um, um, New King James talking Bible. I have the King James talking Bible. I listen to all of them. And you know why I listen? Because when you are trained, I know the King James is true because the King James talks to you when you, if, if that's what you've learned. Yes. You don't have, it just will tell you. So there are, like, there are things that the CSB and the CEV say about marriage. The King James doesn't say it. Other things, they've just completely dropped it out about it because those Bibles are on the doctrines, and doctrines, uh, modern doctrines are all about a political agenda. That's, yeah. that's using spirituality to anchor its objectives and to anchor its strategies and tactics. And so I, when, I, when I go through all of this, and I listen, so some, and when you listen, some, I love the talking Bibles because when you listen, you hear it differently than reading it because you don't have the cluster of words, that, the sea of words that you're going through. And so I was, and, and many times I'm laying, I said, hold on, wait a minute, that's wrong. Yeah. That, that's, you, have you found it with your, oh, yeah. I said, no, no, that's not right. But to hit this book, what is the title of it again? Look what's missing. Look what's missing. You've got, if you are a scholar, and one of the things that he says that really validated um, what, um, what I believe and I think validated his work is this. He kept saying, but that's not what the apostles and prophets wrote. He said, that's not what the apostle and prophets wrote. So we have people who are not apostles or not prophets or who are actually title-only titular apostles and prophets telling us what the kingdom of heaven has designed for the earth, what Jesus Christ, creator and maker, has intended and constructed and also embedded in creation, and they're downgrading it because they're making it modern. 
and the whole idea is that how can you be more modern than eternity? Yeah. I'm thinking God cannot be more modern. Like when you hear people, that's why, you know, devils are dumb, but they think they, they feel humans are dumber. Like devils are dumb. I don't care how much they think that they got it all cunning. Just because they can draw blood and make you feel bad or they can bite and, and go, they, they can get physical, they can't be intelligent. Mm. They're just physical. Ooh. They're keen. They're cunning. They need human faculties and human abilities, which is why Satan entered Adam, for them to get the upgrade that they lost when God downgraded them and banished them from his realm. Mm. Now think about the technology that it takes to banish an entire population from an invincible, impervious realm. Think about that. What, and, and then to develop a, an encryption system so tight they can't get back in. No matter which way you try. Now, see, that's not obsolete. That is not outdated or outmoded. That's supreme being. God's supremacy shows in Satan's failures. Surely he made man upright, but he has invented many schemes. So when, when, you know, when I say, like, I'm so not impressed, I realize that he can play with dirt and dust. They have to do everything with dirt and dust. Did anybody notice? Dirt and dust. Even cloud dust and angel dust. Everything is dirt and dust. That says, is it me? Does that not say a lot? We were made from angel dust. No, our bodies were formed from an earth that was pretty close to heaven's model, texture, and context. All right? But we were made by the word of God. God said, let there be. He, there was no, no, no handiwork. Let, that, let us make man. How did he make man? He did not make man out of angel dust because angel dust is still dead is the ground for your sake. So if angel dust was on the ground, it's curse. We sitting there asking God, how come human, humans are not more perfect? You need to ask the angels whose dust y'all use. Okay? Like, your dust is dusty. <laughs> and angels die. Yeah, at least that's what they're saying. The angels hatches die, and well, angels do die. Isaiah says that too. But I mean, come on, Satan and his angels died. They're dead. They're the dead version of the creator's handiwork. And if you're dead, you can't give life, which is why artificial intelligence is his obsession. He's trying hard to match his maker, and he can't come up to to, um, standard and code because he doesn't have access to the codes. He is making AI from the same dead dust that he inherited when he entered Adam and killed his seed. But, see, we can't argue these points because we're too busy being, I don't even know what. I, I, I got a whole lot of synonyms I'm not going to use. Praise God. I'm going to drink some of this here. This is wonderful stuff. Mm. Bless the Lord. Is that good? So when you think about it, what entered Adam was rebellion, genealogical, genetic, Rebellion, for it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The body without the spirit is dead. 
So humans are born rebellious, and they're born to rebel against God because the spirit that replaced Adam's Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit that was bonded to Adam's spirit became the spirit of the serpent who had already lost the war. Now, when the, I mean, like, I'm one of those people where it said, well, you know, the devil's defeated. I used to say, really? Because he still seems like he's doing well. No, no. He's defeated because the moment God downgraded him, he's defeated. So everything he starts, he starts from ground zero, and his ground zero is defeat. But you don't know that, and you don't care about that because you don't know that you are the 100% antithesis in your new creation spirit of what he is. I have come that they might have life. Why is Jesus saying that? Come on, people walking around breathing and down. Why would he say I've come that they may have life? Because they were living on eroding life, decreasing life. Think about it. So they were really not alive. We're really, as humans, coming into the planet, you're not alive, you're just animated. You're living on the breath of life. So you're living on what God breathed into the body, not what God made on day six. When I hear preachers preach, we're going all the way back to the garden. No, no, no. The garden had the serpent, and he had his, his, had his whole horde of angels waiting outside in the cosmos for Satan to trick Adam to give them access to the planet. Because God had them locked up. Remember, when we do Genesis, you know, Tala and I was just talking about Genesis 4 dot something. <laughs> How many rounds? But if you, I think that if we just did an entire deep dive study of Genesis the way God lived it. See, we talk about how humans wrote it. I talk to you about how God lived it and how he's living it and how he's living with it until we have life. And so when, so when people start talking about, yeah, but you know, I mean, people have, I don't care about people's problem with God. And neither does God, otherwise they'd stay forever like him. You got three score and ten years and you out. And you make all this noise and you're gone. <laughs> all this upheaval. And you go to the dust just like a bird, just like an ant, just like an insect. So, really? So anyway, so when, when, when I, I was thinking about it, he said, but uh, the breath of life, he breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So we live on the breath of life. Um, Elihu said, the breath of the Almighty gives me understanding. By the breath of God, the stars were made, all the hosts of them. So when you think about why we are what we are, you know, I've always said science has never touched the Adam that the, all, the Adam, Adam, that the Almighty made. Never seen it, never touched it. Because the minute the serpent who's dead, who's cursed, who's doomed, who's impotent, enters Adam, Adam ceases to be the Jesus model. When they start talking all of that to me, I'm like, no, uh-uh. Well, I, we, I just don't believe. I don't care what you believe. The fact is, until you can tell me that death is a lie, that sin is a lie, that sickness is a lie, that disease is a lie, that aging is a lie, if you can prove all of them to be lies, then I'm going to believe your theory. Otherwise, 
you don't know what you're talking about because you can't keep yourself alive. Because Satan's model, the serpent's model, is the one that was doomed to die. Death did not, Adam did not die because he, you know, God struck him. He died because he switched out the spirits of his life. He switched immortality for mortality. He did that. He made a choice, and he passed that choice onto all humanity, just like the person who is a drug addict or who is of some other um, of, of sickness or disease, make, they make a choice. You're a drug addict. You make a choice to curse your seed. You did that. And now, thank God for Jesus Christ, we have an option. We have, a, you know, an alternative. But you have got to get to a place that you recognize that because we, 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 we're, we're buying it. Well, Christians still die. No, no, our body goes to the dust. And we go back to our day six form. Because we were in Christ before the foundation of the world. And I teach this, and I'm telling you this, because they said, the, the, those pastors in early, eight, the way he says it, from the 18th century on, the campaign to destroy Christianity and the church by confusing the Bible has been in full play. Which is why, you know, you think about the 1611 um, King James Version, or you think about the Tyndale and all of those that are before that period of time when people cared about the truth. They cared about what God actually inspired as his word. Clearly, devils know we are really the top of the top. See, Satan knows that we all go back to the dust because he never had a, his body was never like ours. See, he had a celestial body. According to 1 Corinthians 15, there is a heavenly body, there is an earthly body, there is a celestial body, there is a terrestrial body. See, that little piece right there is full of scientific knowledge or at least scientific inklings if you decide to dig deeper. Does this make sense? Yeah. So when you think about it, so he, he, he lost his celestial body. How do we know that? Because when we see... The, uh, the cherubim carrying God around, they don't look like a serpent. You see, we go to Ezekiel with the living spirit or the cherubim that Jesus is riding on. You know, God don't, he don't, God's like, I don't ride on y'all mechanics. Okay, your stuff can't contain me. All right. He had to downgrade so he wouldn't destroy everything that was in the planet while he was here doing this three-and-a-half-year mission. Because earlier they said when he stood on rocks, they cracked. You know what it said? Did anybody read that? It said when God stood on rocks, they cracked, mountains split. So do you understand that he, had, he came as a greatly downgraded version of his second person of the Godhead self? See, that, you want me to shut up for me? Just want to hear the bell something. If you need some help, what do you need, girl? So he can sit on Mount Olivet and it not crack. See, there are nuanced things, nuanced realities that you have got to pay attention to when you start thinking cause and effect. 
You have got to pay attention to them. Every time he showed up, it was lightning, it was thunders, there were storms, there were tornadoes, earth cracked, people died. Same Jesus, because it said his goings forth have been from of old. So now he has to come and not destroy the planet by his very being. Now, how does that work? I mean, so, so God, I mean, what does he do? Does he just yell at the rock? No, no. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. As creator, say creator. creator. As creator, he made everything right. Sin caused it to go wrong. His presence, the truth, what he exudes, the things try to fix themselves. They try to right themselves because they're not acceptable or presentable to him. And so think of it. So here he is. He's standing here on a, on a, on a mountain that a devil has taken and got all these principalities and whatnot on it, and he comes down and upset everything, such as Mount Sinai. He had to restrain himself even for that. But he said, don't touch it. And everybody thought, well, because we think so abstractly, so non, um, non, um, non-actually, if you will, that we don't recognize that he told them not to touch it because he was ardent. The power in him had consumed the mountain, transformed it into an energy object, and anything that touched it without his covering. It was like when you look at these modern alarm systems, he had his own alarm system. You know? You know the modern alarm systems, you can't walk through, the thing come out, the beams, the up, the up. See, we understand that today. But they kept saying the mountain was full of lightnings and thunderings and it was roaring. and it, They kept saying that. And then he has this whole other thing, the pillar of light and the pillar of, of the cloud. And, and all. So God had to downgrade himself. He had to mix us with, mix with the mortality in us mm. for so, so, so many reasons. We don't preach this gospel, okay? We don't, because we keep trying to fix up the story. We have concluded that the ancient people were ignorant. I, I submit to you, they had real upfront personal contact and touch with the spirit realm. And they, those beings, those beings led them and governed them, etc. So as we talk, as we go forward in this discussion, the fact that Jesus can sit on Mount Olive and not destroy it, Tells you he's downgraded. Because when they were on the mountain in the wilderness, he shows up as blue sapphire, fire coming from everywhere, lights all over the place. I mean, and I know that that's still the case now, and and that's the beauty of when he appeared in their room, in the upper room, when he rose from the dead, because he's now that perfect consummate fusion of almighty God, spirit, soul, and body, and redeemed humanity, spirit, soul, and body. So he lets them know, I'm just like you. I'm as physical as you are. I'm as eternal as I've always been. I'm as God as I've always been. I'm as like you as anyone can be. So when you think about 
what God is going after. God's going after something. He's going after an end product. He's going after Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ becomes the archetype and the prototype, proto forward first. So he becomes the archetype and the prototype of any kind of being, and he's the consummate of every being there is. See, apostles are supposed to teach you about Jesus. That's apostles' job. Our job is to teach you about Jesus. Whatever realm, whatever spirit he's in, we're to teach you about Jesus. Our job is to make you know Jesus enough to be obedient. Paul tells the Gentiles that he's an apostle to make the Gentiles obedient, not rebellious, obedient. That's what, and he said, he said to make the Gentiles obedient. So why would he make them obedient? Because they're rebellious. Because God wants to take out of them a people for his name or a people group for the Jesus model of sovereign beings, of royal beings, of monarchical beings. And yet we don't know. Now, I'm going someplace with this, but, and the one thing I want you to keep in mind as we advance, as we advance, I want you to keep this in mind. God is working on making you like Jesus, not the church, not a Christian. He is making you exactly like Jesus Christ, which is why we start with, as he is, so are we in this world. He is making, he is multiplying Jesus Christ. Now, the Almighty knows it. The angels know it. God's eternal and heavenly civilizations know it. Satan knows it. The only one who doesn't know it is humanity. God is working. Uh, what we think he's doing is not what he's doing. That is why I was very excited to teach about the apocalyptic elect, to say, to pull us out of Christian, Cause, because God is not making Christians. He's making sovereign offspring of the Godhead. See, because if you're Christian, then you don't have to say a sinner's prayer. If you're Christian, you don't have to go to church. If you're Christian, you can make it on good deeds. If you're Christian, you can use all manner of man-made, handmade paraphernalia for your ritual worship if you're Christian. And if you're Christian, you have a constant consciousness of being downgraded, being beneath anything spiritual. Oh, I got to hit a, uh, come on, I got to hit something. Thank you. Because that's the idea of Christian doctrine as it has come to us, that we would consciously and constantly see ourselves as mortals, as useless, as, as doomed, and beneath everything spiritual, beneath every spiritual being. not above only and not belief. So we walk around constantly, day and night, night and day, trying to make ourselves acceptable to God, trying to make ourselves mean more to God. Nothing can mean more to God than Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, nothing, God has nothing in creation that means more to him than Jesus Christ. Because Jesus came from his being. You may love your adopted child 
all, with all your heart, and you may say all of those things, but the fact that something came from your flesh or your being will always have that little bit of an edge. Now, the children may never know it, but the dignity that you feel of having a copy of yourself in the planet, he is the what? Image of the invisible God, the exact image. God feels about Jesus in ways humans can't imagine, even though we love those who come from our body. So when you say, well, what is God doing? All of the saints, what is God doing? God is taking care of Jesus. And then he lets Jesus take care of us. God's one objective is that Jesus Christ gets everything he gave his life for, everything. That's God's, right now, his obsession. He's obsessed with Jesus Christ. And he told Jesus everything. He, so he so loved Jesus. He so appreciated him. He said to him, God gave him all things. And then what did he say? He, he said, in him all things consist. God put everything God in Jesus Christ. Because he's the firstborn. And for a long time, he was an only child, only begotten. So he, he started out as the only born. I need you to think about this because, see, m- these preachers have given you the impression that you mean more than Jesus. Nothing means more to the Almighty than his first begotten son. Jesus is God like for like in a body that can move around. Jesus is the only begotten because he was the first begotten before God made angels. Satan was born into Jesus' realm. Or better yet, made. He was constructed because he's handmade. He's not reproduced. He's not procreated. Hand-created, not procreated. It's important that you get this because you have to upgrade your identity. And you have to stop thinking that because he's been around for eons, he's above you. You were in Christ before the foundation of the world. You were in Christ before the earth was. So you are older than earth. You pre-exist predate earth. Every other deity is claiming earth or the creation, not Jesus. You hear, well, the universe must smile on me. You know how big the universe is? You can't even think who smiled on you because you don't know. You can't, and you want to talk to us about not being able to get to Jesus. You assume we don't see him. He said, I show myself to whoever believes in me. He said, I reveal myself to whoever believes in me, and if they believe in me real good, I'll show them the Father. And didn't he say that? So I don't have a problem seeing Jesus. We, we hang tough. We visit. Yes, we do. And, and before you ask me what color it is, he's all colors. 
That is why whenever people see him, he looks like a kaleidoscope of color. He's all color because the man holds a patent on everything, and the patent is cellular. He holds the cellular packet, atomic packet, on everything in creation. So everything God made, he put in Jesus Christ as his cell, as his biological structure. So people are like, well, you know, is he black? Is he white? If he's in Africa, he probably going to look black. Okay? If he's Asia, he's going to look Asian. Because he can change. And the Bible tells you he changed how he looks. We saw he said the gardener. And then next thing you know, he's the Messiah. Wait, hold on. You gardener, Messiah, what are you? And so his patent is dynamic, which means it's immediate. He can be anybody he wants. When people have those arguments about Jesus Christ, they're locking themselves into his three-and-a-half-year existence uh, ministry on earth and his 33-and-a-half-year existence in the planet. Before then, he's everything. He said he's all in all. In him, all things consist. I don't have physiological arguments about Jesus Christ because if we have to have that argument, I know that he's not in you. So what's the point? If he's not in you, who's going to convince you? I'm, I'm, I'm going to have some more to say stuff, don't you? <laughs> By popular request, hit that Liberty Bell. See, if you don't know and you can't come to terms with what and who he is, and then you can't become as he is. <laughs> okay. Uh, comment feedback. Let's see. We have. Uh, let's see. God. Okay. This took me out. I was. Okay. Now let me see. Prophet CT. Where's the bell? <laughs> Apostle Ashley Clayton. All right. Cheryl Johnson. He holds the cellular patent. Okay, uh, Rashida said, wow, my God, woman of God, you are dropping some serious revelatory knowledge on us today. Praise <laughs> God. Stephen Holt Jr., whoa, somebody tell C. Terrell Johnson and Lovey Clemens, not just flatline. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I got to lay down somewhere and think on these things. Stay <laughs> Red Shade said, set us straight in a great way. I love it. <laughs> But the apostles are supposed to know Jesus. That is why you can not be a legitimate first-class apostle if you haven't seen him. Because you can't describe him. him. You can't demonstrate him. You can't cognize him. You don't know him. So you're sitting here, you're operating on second, third, and fourth-class information on the Lord. And that's good. You're getting it from the Holy Ghost but you're not getting it from the being, the man and the God, the God-man, Jesus Christ. He wants to be known, but he doesn't want us to, trip, to exploit him. He doesn't want us to trip his people up. You cannot be a first grade, a class A apostle if you've not had that face-to-face. Now, I'm going to tell you, and I do say, now you hear people say, well, I just don't believe that. You're right. You shouldn't believe it because if you had had it, you would believe it. So why are we having a conversation? 
If he hasn't made himself known to you, when, and every time he does it with the apostles, he first came to them in the flesh. Did he not? And, they, and those who were called to him knew him because he was already written inside of them. Because they were in Christ before the foundation of the world. So they knew him. Andrew, we always talk about Peter, 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 but Andrew was the one. Andrew said, hold on, Peter, come here. We met him. Now listen, because see, Scripture is important. We met him of whom Moses and the prophets spoke of. Come meet the Messiah. See, we don't get our facts right. Talk about fact-checking, okay? And so we don't get our facts right. And he says, so he goes and he talks. Andrew knows he's the Messiah. How does he know? Because the prophet John the Baptist had already primed them for his arrival. The prophets are failing because they, too, don't know Jesus Christ. They can't prime the people for the Messiah because they're too busy priming them for the demons. Exactly. Yeah, we probably need to get one of those. We probably need to get one. You know how you how the you know the the, the monitor. But if you don't get in scripture, you don't know your duties. You don't know the duties of your office, and you can't vet anybody correctly because you vet according to what you are impressed by. Your system, your process is about impressions. Now, there are a lot of saints who saw Jesus, but not everybody was brought into his office. And there is a difference. He brought those apostles into his office, into his royal realm, into his, so- his sovereign uh, realm. And so you could talk all day long about I'm an apostle. You can be a second, third, fourth class apostle. I'll let you be that. In our organization, I, I uh, uh, commission you from uh, uh, grade three to grade five. But I'm telling you, when you've been with God, you don't even have to brag about it. People are going to tell you. Yes. They tell me all the time, yeah, but you no, you didn't get that from people. No. <laughs> you didn't get that from man. And isn't that what they said about the apostles? You did not get that from man. If they can find man's doctrine in your rhetoric and in your message, then you didn't get it from God. Hearsay, second hand, third hand, 56 hand. <laughs> so when I say that you're not an apostle, I am not running on my impression. Because a lot of times, their uh, true apostles can be so rough, so gruff, so stern, so solid that they are un- they can unimpress you. But you have to go past all of that, those first impressions, and get into what God in- installed in them. He installs Himself in you as an officer. He installs Himself in you. As an agent, he installs himself in you as a representative. He installs himself in you as God's government. He installs himself in you as God's ministry. He installs himself in you as a commissioned agent. So if you, the half of the stuff that people be saying, I'm like, where are y'all getting this from? Because in order for God to make something happen, he must install his embassy in that apostle, which is why we're ambassadors. Now, you didn't even hit it. (laughs) 
She couldn't even. See, I am, when, when, when he said I'm full with all the fullness of God, he, that's what he's saying. Everything God is given in me. And I'm not disconnected like out of, we're in two different orbits. God extends heaven in you. I finally got this. And, you know, when I do my event this year, I'm going to have a very small closed session on those who are really apostles, really apostles. Because, see, there are things that being full with the Godhead will prevent you from thinking, let alone doing. When you're a prophet, he installs the fullness of his divine communications system, network, media in you. The prophet is God's media, correspondence media, determining what's said, what isn't said, what should be said, what should not be said, what is helpful, what is truth, what is a lie, what has been sifted through intelligence, what has been discredited as intelligence. That's your prophet, not whether or not you got some Listerine. I just want you to understand that John the Baptist probably had bad breath. Did not stop him from being a prophet. The best somebody can give you is what to get from Walgreens. That's not a prophet. That's a pretender. I can't imagine somebody. That's why you know somebody, these people are not in the office. The stupid things they say, those are not even official things. They're not even divine official things. There's nothing official about that. Come on, your mama can tell you to go store, give your grocery list to go buy something. Baby, you can go to bed. You can eat dinner and say, I need some mystery. <laughs> And, you, and that's making a rounds on, on Facebook. That's making a rounds. That is the hype. You have just told us you are not a prophet. You have just told us the office has not come to you. You've just told us the office wasn't dropped to you. You've just told us the office isn't talking to you. You just told us you don't have access. You've just told us you don't have the code. You just told us that they took your key to the media room. That's what you told us. Yes, I'm going to say it. My, let me tell you, my prophets better not bring me something stupid like that. You let them try it if you want to. Come on and bring me something like that. Bring it. First of all, I systematically defrock you. See, I don't just say, give me your papers. I begin to pull out everything that was installed in you because it's neutral in you. Your incompatibility and idiocy are neutralizing the intelligence and the supremacy of that office. So your gift is your gift. And if your gift can't come up to task, I'm sorry, we don't need you in the office. I'm pulling them out of the office by the power vested in me in the Lord Jesus Christ. I evict them from this 
gracious, eternal office, i.e. victim. I pull out, I cast out every imposter. I cast out every traitor. I cast out every turncoat. I cast out every liar. I cast out all of the pretenders. I cast out all of the ignorant. I cast out all of the unvetted, untrained, uneducated. I'm tired of you making us look like idiots. Get out of our office. Get out. And I can do it because that's where I sit in Christ Jesus. I'll see to it that you will never have another dream. My Bible said that when God casts you out, he doesn't give you any more dreams. He said the sun shall go down on the prophets. Let me start. Give me that piece of scripture. I done got crazy. I got to hit something. That's what apostles are supposed to do. We're supposed to guard the king. And we're supposed to guard his reputation. And we're supposed to guard his credibility. And we're supposed to stop pandering to lies. And we're so busy trying not to hurt the errant and the and the illegal's feelings that we will not defend and back Jesus. So I'm gonna read y'all a piece of scripture. Find me. Micah three. Who found that? You? Go ahead, girl. Three, go ahead. Yes, I want that. I want that right now. I'm, I, I, I do, because that's my job. I pull you out of our office. I command every divining spirit and every divining prophet to be yanked out of this office. I put a gate around you. I put you in the straight jacket of the Holy Ghost. I'm tired of it. Tired. Just tired of it. Tired of it. And I have power to do something about it. Now, I'm not, I don't walk around powerless. I told God one thing, and I was very clear. And so if, if he's answered my prayer, then you better know every word that I say will manifest. I said, God, Jesus, I refuse to be a figurehead. I will not be a vanity apostle. I will not be a figurehead apostle. I will not be a shadow and type of an apostle. I am going to have the fullness of the apostleship of Jesus Christ, or you take me out the office. That's where I am. Now you said it's 3-6, right? All right. Micah 3-6. All of you all who are real, go to Micah (laughs) 3-6. Okay? Watch me. Watch me. Trust me on this. See, whether I go this way or that way, I have a duty, almighty, to back Jesus Christ to protect and guard his office. These prophets are doing exactly what Lucifer did. They are not backing the Lord Almighty. He did not cover God. He took God's secrets and used them against him. I'm going to start verse 5. I'm going to start verse 4. Verse 4. This is the end of the priest. This has to do with the the leaders, the government. Because, see, we got the priest and the prophet. Then shall they cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time, as they have behaved themselves ill in their doings. I told you all, God is like, I'm not interested in your stuff right now. I don't care. So if you're getting answers to some foolish prophecies, you better know that that's a divining devil, and he is not, and the Almighty is not supplying that, but the devil who is looking to enslave you is. 
Now, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people err. Yep, one more. Is that in there? Is there Did it say prophets and err in the same sentence? Okay, I just want to make sure. Prophets and err, same sentence. All right. That bite with their teeth and cry peace. And he that puts not into their mouths, they even prepare war against him. Now, I want to go to, uh, I'm going to go to a, a translation that we can honestly, you know, we're going to give God praise. How about that? Let's give God some sugar praise. We're going to go Micah. I'm going on. I'm going to pick up another translation. Okay. I just want, because I want you to hear this. Micah 3, 6. I hit Micah. You go to Acts. I don't understand that. But that's all right. Okay, so I read, I read that. So says Jehovah concerning the prophets who make my people err, who bite with their teeth and call out peace, who, whoever does not give for their mouth. I'm going to get something a little bit more than that. Let's see if we can get something out. Would you all like something a little bit more than that? Oh, sure. Has anybody found another one? I've got like 40 here. Y'all hang tough with me. Okay. All right. Who bite with their teeth and even prepare war against these who do not put something in their mouth. The prophets are turning on and attacking the people who don't pay them. They're using their mantras and their prophecy. Isn't that something? Against people who don't pay them. And isn't that what we've seen? I'm going to let you, okay, so I'm not going to pray for you this or pray for you that or whatever. But, but, um, y'all float. They're having fun over there. You know, this is an interesting studio today. Can I just say that? I'm just going to say my studio guest today is today. Okay? And so that's all I can say. What can I tell you? Um, I didn't go. You want to go there? You know, I'm kind of mad with them now, but I'll go there. Okay. The CEV, well, I'm mad with all of them because right now, you know, I'm kind of like, can we all have it right? Can we get it right? But Micah 3.5, you lying prophets promise security for anyone who gives you food, but disaster for anyone who refuses, refuses to feed you. Here is what the Lord says to you prophets. You will live in the dark, far from the sight of the sun, with no message from me. The prophets and fortune tellers will all be disgraced with no message from me. Okay? And so now, now that last one, I got a problem with. So I'm going to go back over here with what we know. 3-6, you will have nights without vision and darkness without prophecy. The sun will, isn't that what we have right now? That's why we're talking about Listerine. <laughs> Because God is not speaking to them. You can tell because a prophet, if you go to Jeremiah 23, I just want to give you this. It says, and here in, in the King James Version, it says, Therefore night shall be unto you that you shall not have a vision, and it shall be dark unto you that you shall not divine, and the sun shall go down over the prophets, and the day shall be dark over them. Now, 
they said prophecy, but divine, because he knows that the prophets have ceased being the mouthpiece of God and have become the voice box of devils, divining. So, I mean, and I I just want to, um, I, I really like this part, Micah 3, 5, under Albert James' commentary. He said, the prophets that make my people err, flattering them in their sins and rebellions, promising that they shall go unpunished, that God is not so strict, um, will not put in force the judgment, um, the judgment ties threatens or the judgments he threatens. So Isaiah says uh, of my people, and I want to go back and read these. He said, oh, my people, they which lead thee, mislead thee, and the leaders of this people are its misleaders, and they are that they have led them um, out of dest- to destruction. Now, and I'm reading here because, you know, they're using old English, and I'm trying not to be old. In- I don't, my Elizabethan is not too good. All right. And Jeremiah, the prophets have seen for thee vanity and folly, and they have not discovered thy iniquity or revealed all that stuff God needs to fix to turn, your- turn away your captivity and have seen false burdens and, co- and uh, the causes of banishment. No error is hopeless, save what is taught in the name of the Lord. So I'm saying this to you because I got one more to read. When, I was, when God was training me to be a prophet, first of all, I, you cannot be a prophet if you've not studied the prophets. Because you kind of need to know what the predecessors are. It's like a, a, an attorney never studying law than the precedents before them, not going through the cases. The prophets give you God's case law and his case situations. And so he's saying here, again, that the sun will go down. This was the first word that God gave me. The second one God gave me was from um, Jeremiah 23. You're going to like it. How you know a prophet is false. Jeremiah 23:22. Okay, starting at verse 21. If you're following me and you're a real prophet, you're going to understand. This is the legislative arm of the prophet. That is why when they call us legalistic, they're actually saying you're a prophet or you're prophetic because Jesus said, I did not come to destroy the law or the prophets, but to fulfill. And so... Uh, Jeremiah 23, 21, uh, 20 even, the Lord's anger won't turn back until he has accomplished what he intended to do. In the future, you will clearly understand it. I did not send these prophets, but they ran anyway. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. If they had stood in my counsel and had delivered my words to my people, then they would have turned them back from their evil way and from their evil deeds. Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, rather than a God who is far away? I didn't send those. When a prophet is speaking for God, you will be uncomfortable because fallen flesh is at odds with its maker. Excellence. But if you are looking to be like God and you're looking to become his messenger, then you will suffer And like you do anything else, you want to be an NBA star, you suck it up, don't you? You want to get the promotion, you suck it up. You want to get your degree, you suck it up. And you change, you drop what you must drop, stop what you must stop, 
and go on. Is that not true? So here we are. With, when it comes to God, all of a sudden, he, we, we, you know, it's too hard. I can't take this truth, you know. And so when you read Jeremiah 20, 23, um, I'm sorry, 23, 21, that's what, I, that's what he told me. He said, but here's a measurement. So you don't look for measurements. Prophets are going to give you measurements. They're going to give you markers and indicators. If they had stood in my counsel, they would have turned my people from their sin. They would have. And look, and here we are, Albert Barnes, saying they should have turned them, the work of the true prophet, which is to turn people from evil to good. We're worse than we ever were. So we understand that we haven't had a lot of true prophets. Oh, maybe we, and God is saying we've had too many pastors. So your prophet, when you go to our, come to our meetings, and we're going to tell you the truth, you can go to your pastors, and you're going to say that we, we religious and legalistic. Okay? Now, I want to read just a, a couple of different versions of this um, because I think it's worthwhile. Jeremiah 23, 23, the Tree of Life version. If they have stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words to my people and turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Isn't that interesting? Here's, um, I'm going to go over here. Okay, when we talk about Young's literal translation, but if they had stood in my counsel, then they caused my people to hear my words, and they turned them back from their evil way and from the evil of their doing. So the, the point is how they're voicing standing in God's counsel. God's, here's, here's one you'll like. Certainly my chief prophet will love it. Um, God's word Bible, if they had been in my inner circle, I told you you'd like it, didn't I? They would have announced my words to my people. They would have turned back from their evil ways and the evil they have done. So we've got God's counsel, C-O-U-N-S-E-L. We've got God's counsel, C-O-U-N-C-I-L. Okay? Again, um, ISB, if they had stood in my counsel, which means my tribunal, See, these people are not even in God's inner circle and had delivered my words to my people. Then they would have turned them back from their evil way and from their deeds. Sometimes you all need to hear it more than, in, in more than one way. You know, if they had stood in my counsel, then he said, then they would have caused my people to hear my words. So a real prophet opens your ear to the Almighty. They remove that circumcision of the ear, pull back that skin so you can hear. All right? It's important that you recognize the difference that we would have, um, that we should have. And another one said they would have proclaimed my words to my people because um, they had been in the council. See, if a lot of these people have never been in God's inner sanctum. They've never been in his circle. In my dictionary, I have a word called sold, S-O-D, or S-O-D-E, depending on what translation, in my dictionary, and it talks about the, what it is to be in God's inner circle or to be brought into his closed chambers. Is that good to know? And so, and then um, when we look at the last two, now I like to do it, do it, but Jeremiah 23, 22, Bible in basic English, if they had been in my secret, then they would have made my people give ear to my words. That's powerful. Turning them from their evil way. And then Brenton, 
if they had stood in my oh, the same oh yeah if they had stood in my counsel if they had hearkened to my words then he would have turned my people from their evil practices see these are criteria these are not just statements these are measurements these are gauges and benchmarks all right if they have been now this one i love this is cev get ready chief ready if they have been, this is so powerful if they have been in a meeting of my counsel in heaven i'm done hit something girl hit that bell come on here see their failure is telling on them it's exposing them if they have been in a meeting of my counsel in heaven, they would have told you people of Judah to give up your sins and come back to me. That's really good. I mean, it's important for us to understand. I like to read all of this, you know. And it said, another one says, if they had made my words known to my people, I should have turned them from their evil way. Here's another one, Jeremiah 23:22, the easy-to-read version. If they had stood in my heavenly council mm-hmm. instead of the council of men, if they had stood in my heavenly council, they would have told my messages to the people of Judah. They would have stopped the people from doing bad things. They would have stopped them from doing evil. So when God says that this is the failure of his prophets, and why he's making the light, the sun go down. Because if you are a real prophet, the one thing you can't stand is to go too long without a dream. Prophets have got to dream because that is our download. Okay? Prophets have got to dream. Am I, how many of y'all are prophets in here? Hold your hand. How many of you all would go crazy if you didn't dream? How many of you dream more than, more than once a week? more than twice a week? How many of you dream almost every night? Okay. And we know better than to act bad because we know if we, if we act up, he's not going to talk to us any longer, and then we're scared. <laughs> okay. All right. Cable, cable disconnected. It's, uh, uh-huh. She said, why <laughs> Please try to take your service provider. Right. Oh, but he's not talking. Okay? Yes. As a matter of fact, you have been deleted from our system, from our database. See, that's how come, when you see prophets begin to exaggerate and to begin to uh, conjure words, it's because God has cut their channel. He's cut their feed. So they're not hearing from God. Now, singly enough, most times people don't realize it. They won't know God cut their feed until they read Scripture. You know, I have a book called When God Goes Silent that explains this in detail. Jeremiah 23, this is God's news Bible. You might like this one. Uh, No, access denied, feed cut. You know, God, here's God to the Holy Ghost. (laughs) <laughs> uh-uh. they, now here, um, God's News Bible, if they had known my secret thoughts, they, would have, they could have proclaimed my message to my people and could have made them give up the evil lives they live and the wicked things they do. 
But see, you know, we got the pastors that talk about the good news, and the good news is like the lollipop factory. You know, the guy's the candy man, and we have been in candy land. You know, I was stunned at how many preachers were sh- um, uh, spreading around Candy Crush. I said, there's something prophetic about that. There's something indicative about that. I'm, ju- I'm just saying. What can I tell you? Now, Catholic Bible polyglot. And if they stood with my support and they hearkened to my words, then my people would have turned from their wicked practices. Stood with my support. And so I, I think that when we start getting here, when you think about God's counsel, it is the word sowed. Now, you can go on Google. I, I've done it, and they have a lot of answers. Every one of these translations is in the definition of the word sowed, which is H5475 in Strong's. For those of you who are going to do something with this information, it's h fifty four. 75. That means Hebrew, and it's and these are the things that it says. If you don't, if you want, you know, we can go on. I'm I'm having a blast. Says mine. Okay, the word "sold" means. What's interesting? Council, C-O-U-N-C-I-L, which is the the, the uh, tribunal body, a body of governors and body of uh, leaders, and then council, which is advice and assembly, pretty much speaks for itself. And it means um, a circle, the circle of familiar friends, which means if they were friends of God. You know, they, they sang that, but they weren't his friends. They were not friendly to his truth. They were not friendly to his righteousness. Isn't that right? They were not friendly to his will, his purposes. They were not even friendly to his people because he led them to sin. Okay? Also, company, where we get the word company of prophets. Um, secret counsel, and then here, I think this one is so interesting, familiar converse or conversation, intimacy with God. We also talked about being intimate. You don't even know God's thoughts. You don't know how he feels about it. Half of y'all don't. You talk about you intimate with God and you tied it up like you don't realize that he did not want you to put graffiti on his temple. <laughs> what did I do? You know, I'm just being, I mean, it's the truth. I've got to be, somebody has got to tell my people their transgressions in the house of, what? The house of Israel, their sins. People, half of these people who are doing this to God, they're doing it because of poor counsel. Their pastor told them it was okay. Their friend, the prophet, told them it was okay. Their parents or family told And because they so wanted counsel that aligned with their desires and their passion, they took that counsel so they can blame it on everybody else. I'm just, you know. Is that all right? So if we go to um, H32 uh, 45, we're going to see the origin of that. And, and it's telling you that I do it right. That it's telling you that word has come from a particular, and it talks about, now we're talking about soul, so it's talking about to found and fix. This is under BDB, 
found, fix, or, stay, or lay a foundation. So if people had, had been in God's counsel, they would have stood on his foundation. And then another one that says to fix or seat themselves close together, to sit in a conclave, to sit in a conclave. So had they been in, I know it, had they been in God's conclave, see, he's saying that, to fix or sit themselves close together in a conclave. I wanted you to get this, to, and also to establish a point and ordain, So when you think about this word, because this is the word I got, and I got this word not even from the Bible, because back then they, I did not have a Bible that gave me the Strong's, whatever. I got it from a, a Swiss prophet who wrote an ama- amazing book and did an extensive explanation of being in God's secret chambers. I don't know about you, but isn't that one of those Selah moments? He said, if, I, if you had stood in it, so I, I mean, and that's, you know, that's just understanding the word sowed. If you go to Google, you're going to see all of the teachings on it, Hebrew and Greek. Just key it in, S-O-D, or key in the number. Most times you go faster if you just key in the strong number. Because when you do, you come up with something altogether different. It's really wonderful to see how God wants us to learn. And, and these are things that they could have told us. They could have said it. They could have said it over and over again. Okay, for example, and if you, the Blue Letter Bible explains it, brings it out, and it talks about all of the things that happen when you're in God's counsel, all of the things when he lets you into his secret chambers. You know, we have, we, we really did this man a bad disservice. You know, we really have. And, 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 and it's, um, you know, it's bo- bothersome to me that people are talking and calling themselves prophets and you never read the prophets. You never read the Bible. We can't even get you through the book of Acts. So you're, you know, according to Ezekiel 14, those are the prophets. <laughs> We can't get you through Jude. No, but Jude's scary. Yes. Jude's scary. But we can't get you through that, and you all are walking around, and you don't ask prophets questions. You don't do it. In my handbook, I got a handbook somewhere. Anyway, but in my handbook, we have questions that you can ask and answer. There are, and also in my, I just love this team. There's something always there. It's, just, it's there. I just have to find it. Okay, just. In my prophet's handbook, which is a textbook that you can use to train prophets, and on page, Traits of False Prophecy, page 334, for those of you who have it, I'm sure by now Rachel has it up on the screen, the following statements reflect the hidden agenda of prophecies. What they share is a veneer of good deeds and positive motives that make one wonder what could possibly be false about them. Here is where the astute and resolute prophet must hold his or her ground. 
Despite the positive nature of the objectives, it is their motives and mission outcomes that must be suspect. How God inspired are these cosmo-humanitarian aims? Are they steeped in carnality? Do they seek to replace the Creator's plan and truth? Is there an underlying intent to divert the souls recovered to and from the Lord? Is there a fundamental seething against him spearheading these good deeds? Here is the greatest test. Does it exhibit the Antichrist spirit? Does it aim to assault, discredit, scorn, or otherwise overthrow Jesus Christ, his kingdom, or his deity? If so, then regardless of its humanitarian stance, it is not meant to serve the true and living God. Read the list of traits below and measure them against the questions just posed. False prophecy has one or more of these goals in mind. It aims to motivate or achieve any one or all of the following without the wisdom or involvement of the creator. The first thing that we have on the list is clamors for peace on earth. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Calls for the elimination of world hunger. Jesus said, you're going to have the poor with you always. Proclaim religious unity of man independent of God, the creator, or the new birth, ecumenicism. Ecumenism. Exhaust the flesh, humanism. Divides the flesh from the spirit, carnality. Exhaust the primacy of man to the point that humans are God. Defiles the worshiper. In other words, all of these sex things that we have going on, that's false prophecy. Because sex is a trigger word. And sex is to make you continue because devils need sex to transfer and transit from one person to the other. And Chief found a book for us. I don't even know if I want to mention it because, see, some of y'all are so weak, we can't even give y'all references. All right. Eliminate sanctification. <laughs> Eliminate sanctification, blocks holiness, causes a retreat from God. Fosters carnal indulgence, appeases carnal appetite. Now, there's a bunch of these, so I'm going to hop around. But if you took each one of these and explained and illustrated them, matched them with Scripture, you'd have a prophet's false prophecy course. All right? Turns to the world, secularism, makes flesh humanity its strength, lends to or culminates in immorality, immodesty, or hedonism. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You all can say all day long, these are deep prophets, but if they are immodest, if you're talking about swinging boobs, you're talking about tight pants, you're talking about uncleanness, you are still dealing with a false prophet because this is a package that is selling the lie by using or seducing you with the truth, all right? It makes you self-serving and indulgent. It ignites strong cosmopolitan influences. It exceeds the realms and boundaries of Scripture, ignores the cross and salvation, compromises God's righteousness, or misconstrues it. It makes you doubt. It makes you doubtful and double-minded. It dismisses the Lord's sovereignty. It clashes with established and revealed prophecy, grieves, quenches the Holy Ghost, it perverts doctrine and sparks heresy, negates the new birth, crushes the new creation. It breeds or culminates in irresponsibility or recklessness. It precludes the will and ordinations of God. It coincides with and endorses worldly views and philosophies. It empowers, 
exalt and protect the devil and his sin. It is impossible to find in Scripture or to be substantiated by it. It fosters demonism, painting it as benevolent, and it shields rebels from God to prevent acknowledgement of his sin, justice, and righteousness. Now, you can go on the way down um, on page 337 when you get ready, and it talks about what the word false means. And so the word false, as you well know, means erroneous, untrue, wrong, mistaken, and deceitful. These amplify the root problem with false prophecy. It is erroneous revelation or prediction. It is untrue revelation or prediction. It is wrong revelation or prediction, mistaken revelation or prediction, or deceitful revelation or prediction. However, the simplest way of looking at false prophecy is to see that it is not the word of the Lord. And sometimes false prophecy is the word of the Lord misapplied. Okay? Because we forget that. Misapplied. Now, you know, when we look at our present situation and we look at, you know, the whole 2020 election and we look at the whole, you know, uh, stealing of the election and Trump thing and whatnot, one of the things that I want you to know is that false prophets, when they magnify and they unify, they can make their words happen because they have the power of Satan's authority over the flesh. So when you look at all of the prophets who say they prophesied Biden, they should be scared by now because God didn't tell them the truth. God let them believe the lie. He said, I will give them strong delusion that they would believe the lie who did not have pleasure in the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So delusions will prophesy. And so you have to have your scriptures. You have to have what God said, what God didn't say. I'm going to give that to you. Thank you. And, and how he said it. Talk about, while we have a few more minutes left, I want to talk about discernment. Because we need to get an understanding of discernment. The Bible said we must be skilled in the word of righteousness. Here's something interesting. Our study skill, and it's not what we think. You know, as soon as I can get the thing to come up to be the thing, let's see if you'll come up and be the thing. Is this it's not moving, huh? Hold on. Let me see. I'll go here. Maybe that's it. Okay. Maybe not. Okay. All right. So in Philippians, uh, we've been saying this over and over again. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, 6, who, although he existed in the form of God. He existed in the form of God. Let us make man in our image and likeness. God had to say that for so many reasons, including all of the false hybrid deities that were showing up and that people had gotten used to, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now, one thing Jesus knew was devils from humans, from angels, from etc. But the word discern is a very interesting word because it means to perceive or recognize the difference or distinction between two or more things. That is a skill. 
you have, you have to cultivate, cultivate that as a skill. So even though you hear prophecy, you have got to begin to penetrate it, pierce it, to find out if it's different, if it's consistent with something else, if it's to be distinguished, or if everybody's prophesying the same thing, are they prophesying the same thing or just saying the same words? What are the differences? So it says also to distinguish an object with the eyes, to see distinctly. Also to perceive rationally. Well, when we think about discerning of spirits, that's a visual distinction. Distinction is not based on a hunch. It's not just based on your gut. That distinction is based on what we used to call educated guesstimation as well as experiences that you have built up in your memory banks that recall similar or related situations. All right, it means to separate by sifting. I want to say this again, to separate by sifting, by setting apart, by dividing, distributing, by perceiving, all right, by breaking breaking one thing away from the other to see the differences in it, to discriminate. I wanted to, I want you to hear that because we walk around, I got discerning of spirits. You can't even discern how to get to work on time. You can't discern that your boss is getting ready to fire you. You can't discern the fact that the layoffs are happening. You want. You can't discern that they moved you from the lobby to the to the basement for a reason. Because discernment is a faculty, and I want everybody listening to me today to look up the word faculty. And I don't mean university staff of teachers. I want you to look up the word faculty from its roots. Because, see, we, a lot of things we call anointing are faculties, attributes, and abilities. So that's one of the things I wanted to get you to do. And when you get the truth, we need you to adjust, adapt, evolve from how you started this thing and change into what God has for you. Now, I wanted to go one more place. Maybe this was it. It was not it. I want to tell you about skill. We think we know what skill is, okay? But here's what skill actually means, just in case you want to know. I did not know this, but skill begins power of discernment. Did you all know that? Skill actually begins with the power of discernment. From the old norm, skill means distinction, which is the ability to make out discernment and adjustment. So you don't just recognize or detect. You, the skill part comes in because you know how to fix it or improve or correct. So skill includes adjustment to separate, to discern, and understand. Now, why is that skill? Because to hire somebody who can screw a faceplate on is not the same as somebody who understands how to do it without being electrocuted. Oh my. <laughs> we kind of need to know that part. And then it means, again, skill. Now, it's interesting because skill is almost synonymous with discernment. To divide and separate, uh, but listen, according to reason. 
You have reason and rationale. You think. You cannot have discerning of spirits and you're not a thinking person. You have no reason. You have no, no rational framework for what you are calling or detecting as a spirit. It means being able to separate and then set boundaries and limits to differentiate. Now, none of this has to do with ability. Did anybody notice that? It did not have to do with ability, aptitude, performance, competence, or capability. None of those words were in the etymology of the word skill. I think that's interesting, don't you? And so what we call skill what we call skill is not skill. So when we go here, be st- but strong meat belongs to them, this is Hebrews 5.14, belongs to them that are, listen to me, full age. That's number one, you're mature. Number two, who by reason, they have, their reason is developed by reason of use or because of use, they have their senses exercised. You see, this goes with the word skill to discern both good and evil. So that word, um, good and evil there, forget the, um, the um, G, G1, eliminate that, it's 5037, it's diocesis, and it means a distinguishing, discerning, and judging. You know how we're told not to judge? That's devils. Because you can't live a day without judging. You can't go an hour without judging. When you saw that, that slide, you began to judge. <laughs> Lastly, 1 Corinthians 12, 10, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And so we have here uh, G1252, diacrino, to separate, to make a distinction, to discriminate, prefer, to learn by discrimination, to try things, to in other words, test, to decide and to determine or how to determine, to be able to give judgment, make decisions, and resolve disputes, to be able to distance yourself from a situation enough to see it objectively, to, ever, to, to, to separate oneself, to oppose, strive, and dispute, and contend. But the whole point of this discussion, called discernment, is not what they meant. We started this off with synonyms. We started it off with synonyms that were chosen in Scripture, left out, included for various uh, expediences of various purposes of the translator. In order for you to do that, the reason that we can sense something is wrong is because our discernment faculties have been developed, highly developed. That is what Hebrews is saying that by virtue of your or by reason of your development, your discernment, discernment faculties, you are able to detect, because the synonym for discern is detect, you're able to detect, isolate, excuse me, identify and isolate. I want to say that again. Detect, identify, and isolate, because you have to be able to isolate the wrong factor or the right factor from everything that's surrounding it, making it look like, A, it fits, or B, that it's compatible with someone else, or C, that it belongs there. Hallelujah. I think I made it. Did I make it, Apostle? What they say? What y'all saying? What y'all saying on 
They probably all went back to work. I know, I know that's right. But we have got to, we've got to do better, folks. We cannot walk around talking about Jesus is it. He's the only God. He's the wise God, the only, to our only wise God, to the resurrection and life. We got all of that. First of all, the technology that it takes for God to resurrect his son who's been beaten to a bloody pulp and put him in a healed body. So while he was bringing Jesus up, this body was getting healed. Come on, somebody. You have to recognize all that went and went into that thing. We've heard those Christmas stories and, and Easter stories so much, you think you know them. You don't. This man was wrapped in a box, in, in a, uh, what do you call it, swaddling cloth, clothes. He was put in the tomb. He has left his body. His soul is in hell. His spirit is in heaven. Oh, God, come on, hit some girl. I'm about to get crazy. All right. His spirit is in heaven, and all of a sudden, when the three days are, are, are up, are fulfilled, that's better, all three of those pieces together quickens the body, quickens the soul, and dispatches the spirit that he sent home when he was on the cross, and all he could say is, look at my handprint. Sir, okay, sir, I'm going to tell you now, what we understood, you, you had a little more than hand, scarred hands. I'm committed to the fact that you had a little bit more than scarred hands. That's, that's just my thought. But So do, do you see the wonder? This body is wrapped up in these clothes. It's probably three days. It's, the, the spices have hardened. How did he heal the body? So did he heal the body when he got back in it, took himself out of it? Or was the body healed and standing there waiting for him? Come on, guy. <laughs> Isn't that a lot? Can you imagine the body, his body is standing there, you know, kind of like um, Iron Man. You know, come on, son. I'm a... And his and his soul and his spirit quickens his soul because it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. His spirit quickens his soul, and they both just rise up from the ground. Oh God, I'm done. Goodbye, hallelujah. Hey, join us Sunday. At the embassy, home of the congregation of the mighty, where God stands, Sunday school at 8 a.m., and church service, Sunday service at 10. Hey, you know as good as this was, you need to sow some seed. And go, I want you to dig deep. This is great stuff, because you all can teach this for six years. Amen. Okay, so Apostle Ashley has something to say. What you got? To, oh, she said it all. All right? Go back and watch this again and again. Share it with friend, friend, friend. Enemy, enemy, enemies, family, family, family. Everybody needs to do this. See, because you've been trying to tell people the uniqueness of your salvation as opposed to the proselytizing of other religions. We are not proselytized. We are recreated. We are new creations. And that's a powerful thing. Love you much. Think differently. Live powerfully. God bless you. Oh, I got new music. Do you hear that?